Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2017, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We're thrilled to announce that we've hit a milestone with the show this month with over one million listens. So tonight we are doing the second episode of a series on electromagnetic pollution and its very real effects on the human body. Our expert guest is Dr. Magda Havis, who is an associate professor at Trent School of the Environment, Trent University, where she teaches and does research on the biological effects of electromagnetic pollution and the beneficial effects of electrotherapies. Dr. Havis received her PhD at the University of Toronto and did postdoctoral research at Cornell before returning to Canada. She works with people who are electrically hypersensitive. Her latest research links microwave radiation from wireless phones to heart irregularities including arrhythmia and tachycardia. Dr. Havis has served as a science advisor to various government and non-government organizations in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., the EU, Australia, South Africa, and Nepal. Dr. Havis has provided expert testimony in both Canada and the U.S. on the health effect of power lines, occupational magnetic field exposure, and radio frequency radiation. She is the co-author of Public Health SOS, the Shadow Side of the Wireless Revolution, and has edited three books and authored more than 150 publications. Dr. Havis is internationally recognized both for her previous work on acid rain and metal pollution and for her current research working with people who have developed electrohypersensitivity, or EHS. Since 2000, Dr. Havis has given hundreds of invited lectures in more than 20 countries and at more than 24 universities. You can visit her website, which is www.magdahavis. Magda is spelled M-A-G-D-A, and Havis is H-A-V-A-S dot com. And also check out her YouTube channel. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada, Fiona, and also welcome our newest team member, Kathy, for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who might have a question or comment for our guest. You can check out our online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk, and if you'd like to show your support of our program, we'd appreciate it. Please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. Now, the toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com, which is our main site, is 888-881-0881. And the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual for yourself or your pets, 
Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And remember, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I'd like to introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Let me get your mic open, sweetie. Okay, there you go. Hey, Anastasia. Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you. It is going to be a very important program tonight. I looked it at sure our website, and man, oh man, it's really a privilege to have her. And uh, I won't be able to ask her a question, so I hope that you or Lavendar inquires of her as to any spiritual technology or frequency technologies available for protection against these uh, frequencies that, that are making everyone ill. So. I'm sure you'll ask that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I noticed on our website there was a, a link to um, uh, an article or a book about that that very subject, and uh, I wasn't successful in following through with that link. So I'm sure that there will be lots of information, and I'll have to tune in later to hear this very important stuff. So I want to thank her ahead of time for agreeing to be our guest. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. Okay, well, uh-huh. on with the news. Um, California has passed legislation now that requires pet stores to sell rescue animals. California, yes, has passed legislation making it the first state to require pet stores to sell rescue animals. Now, Governor Jerry Brown signed Bill Assembly 485 into law Friday, forcing animal stores into transition to sell rescue animals starting in 2019. The article goes on to say that animals like cats, dogs, and rabbits must come from shelters or adoption centers in a bid to stamp out mass breeding of animals in so-called puppy mills. Now, this is a big win for our four-legged friends, but for California taxpayers who spend more than $250 million annually to house and euthanize animals in shelters, according to the co-author of the bill, Patrick O'Donnell who said this in a statement. And experts are telling us that some Dead Sea Scrolls displayed at the Washington, D.C. Museum of the Bible are fakes. So it raises the question, are the Dead Sea Scrolls historical documents or are they collectible items? And they say how you answer that question may determine how you will feel when you discover that fragments of scrolls in private collections that are owned uh, by owners who paid millions of dollars for are more than likely fakes, well-made forgeries, but fakes nonetheless. And one of the victims of these frauds is the Museum of the Bible, which is scheduled to open in Washington, D.C. this uh, next month, November of 2017. Now, in a new article in Dead Sea Discoveries by paleographer and Dead Sea Scrolls expert, Uh, a man named Dr. Davis, he says that many of the scrolls to be displayed in that facility are questionable at best and fakes at the worst. Forgeries have been a problem with the Dead Sea Scrolls since the first ones were found in 1947 by Bedouin shepherds in a cave near what is now known as the Qumran site. Now eventually, 
um, 11 caves, some say 12, 11 caves were found housing some 900 manuscripts and up to 50,000 fragments in forms ranging from full scrolls to little tiny minute pieces. Now, as they contain the contents of the Hebrew Bible, competition between scholars and collectors to possess the scrolls was immediately fierce, costly, and it was fraught with frauds. Eventually, carbon dating of the leather that they were written on eliminated fakes that weren't around 2,000 years old, but apparently there are many uh, very clever fakeries that still remain, and they are in the hands of those who have paid dear prices for them. Which leads me to wonder, where are the real ones? would have been nice if the articles would have stated that. The article would have let us know that. Yeah. And I don't imagine that D.C. Museum is very happy about this article one bit, but there it is. Well, here is an amazing story about engineers who have developed a programmable camouflaging material. This is, comes out of Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Now, I suppose many of you know this, but some of you don't, and quite frankly, I only knew a little bit of it, but we are told here that the octopus and the cuttlefish can instant instantaneously change their skin color and pattern to disappear into the environment because that is a part of their camouflage ability. Now, these animals can also very quickly and reversibly morph their skin into a textured 3D surface. That was the part that surprised me. And it hmm. gives the animal a ragged outline that mimics seaweed, coral, or any other objects that it detects, and it uses those things for camouflage. Remarkable. Really? Well, this week, engineers at Cornell University report on their invention of stretchable surfaces with programmable 3D texture morphing. This is a synthetic camouflaging skin inspired by studying and modeling the real thing in octopus and cuttlefish. Now, the engineers have reported their findings in the October issue of Science. Now, the team have a pneumatically activated material that takes a cue from the 3D bumps or papillae uh, that, uh, that these uh, uh, cu uh, cuttlefish and octopuses can, uh, that they have on their bodies. I'm sorry, I lost my place here. And it says that, they, that it can express in one-fifth of a second, um, it can become uh, camouflaged. And uh, they say that lots of animals have these little bumps, but they can't extend and retract them instantaneously like octopus and cuttlefish. So they have developed this uh, material that is able to expand and contract in one-fifth of a second, as I understand this article. There's more to it, but I didn't have, we don't have enough time to cover the entire thing. But that's really a remarkable invention. And, of course, you know that will likely have military applications right up front. So I always think about that Sherlock Holmes movie where he turned mm -hmm. himself to the chair. Did you ever see that? <laughs> anyway, anyway, he was wearing a suit that was the same fabric as the chair. And, of course, it's a bit of trickery in the, uh, that the camera did. But, nevertheless, he be, it, it just reminds me of... Uh, the fascinating potential of being able to completely camouflage. And apparently they're coming up with things that are enabling human beings to do that. All right, well, enough about that. Um, we've been talking about volcanoes, and I'll tell you something. They are really popping. 
um, there are brand new fears about Bali's Mount Angung uh, that it could erupt uh, after the volcano uh, reached peak earthquake activity today. Now, up to 1,000 tremors have been recorded around that volcano every day, and the frequent movements are showing that there is a flow of magma now reaching the surface. Now, this comes as Mount as Indonesia's Mount Sinabung erupted, erupted just Sunday, and that caused evacuations from around the volcano, and it, it put ash a half a kilometer into the air. But the activity at Mount Agung is being closely monitored by the airlines because they expect that travel to Bali will be severely affected when the eruption occurs. They've set up an emergency operations center, and travel insurance companies are imposing restrictions on policies in the wake of these warnings. And speaking of Mount Cinnabung, yes, it did erupt on Sunday. It spewed clouds of ash, and uh, they have... um, evacuated people around that volcano and uh, they say that the the uh, volcano that occurred in last year in may of 2016 killed seven people so that is preparing or has erupted and um, they're evacuating around that but that's not all we have a la palma la palma volcano in the canary islands that was hit by hundreds of earthquakes in 15 hours There were 44 earthquakes uh, recorded from a 2.1 magnitude and up that occurred on Friday, and they've kept on going, and experts believe that the total number, including the ones that might be too small to be uh, uh, registered, uh, within this seismic storm was 352. Now, there was another seismic storm the weekend before. So there is just a lot going on down there. They are just um, really a lot of earthquakes around this volcano. Well, the next article is is very thoughtful. Uh, The poet W.H. Auden is credited with the first coining of the the word uh, topophilia to describe a strong emotional pull to a special place. Well, now there is scientific research that's using cutting-edge brain imaging that suggests that this uh, poet probably figured something out because... According to a study commissioned by the National Trust, people actually experience intense feelings of well-being, contentment, and belonging from those places that evoke positive memories. And they do this far more than the objects that they treasure, such as photographs or things like wedding wedding rings. And, you know, as I look at that, I, I think surely that the energy of the land... Uh, and the environment is is probably interacting with their auric fields. Um, photographs and wedding rings, yes, they inspire memories, and sometimes objects carry auric imprints, but the land is living. So anyway, it's food for thought. You want to feel better? <laughs> Go to a place on the planet that makes you feel good. And remember uh, the memories of those places to help yourself feel good. And I know people who do just that. Well, there's an article uh, by the Canadian Press out just a couple of days ago about the sonic attacks in Cuba. That high-pitched whine, but from what? They say that it seems to undulate. Uh, There are distinct tones. Some people have described that it's like colliding uh, nails or fingernails on a chalkboard effect. Well, the Associated Press has obtained a recording of what some U.S. Embassy workers heard in Havana 
in a series of unnerving incidents later deemed to be deliberate attacks by an unknown party. This recording was released last Thursday by the Associated Press, and it's the first disseminated publicly of the many taken in Cuba of those mysterious sounds that led investigators initially to suspect a sonic weapon. Now, mm, the recordings themselves, they say, are not believed to be dangerous to those people who listen to them. So sound experts and physicians say that they know of no sound that can cause physical damage when played for a short duration on a standard equipment, such as a recording device or a computer. But what device produced the original sound remains unknown. And Americans affected in Havana reported the sounds hit them at extreme volumes. So the mystery's still on. I'm sure there are those who know exactly what all of that is about. Well, here's a, a very interesting article about a crystal. Researchers have discovered the secret of perovskite. Let's see if I can get this. Do you guys know it? Perovskite. A perovskite crystal that is photoluminescent. And this is a little studied member of the uh, crystal family. Um, and they think that it could find use in a range of electronic devices. Um, but now they are trying to discover the secret of its photoluminescence. Um, they belong to a group of materials that are known to have electronic properties. And they say that with research, they think that this material shows great promise to... Um, uh, operate high-efficiency solar cells. They say that the material's potential applications include color-converting coating on LED light bulbs, lasers, and photodetectors. So they are still investigating uh, what it is that makes it shine in the dark. They don't know, but they're mm. trying to fine-tune this material's uh, optoelectric properties for other uses in, in our uh, technology. Well, there is new technology, according to org, that can prevent genetically modified organisms from breeding with their natural counterparts. That sounds pretty good. The article says that a major obstacle to applying genetic engineering in order to benefit humans and the environment is the risk that these organisms whose genes have been altered might produce offspring with their natural counterparts, releasing the novel genes into the wild. That's actually happened, of course. Well, now researchers from the University of Minnesota's Biotechnology Institute have developed a promising way to prevent such interbreeding. They call their approach synthetic incompatibility, and this makes the engineered organisms um, stay as a separate species, unable to produce viable offspring with their wild or domesticated relatives. The technology uses a new class of molecular tools called programmable transcription factors. And it says that this makes it possible to control which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off in an organism. Think about that. That's wow. actually pretty creepy. If an engineered organism mates with a wild counterpart, the transcription factors render the offspring unable to survive by activating genes that cause their cells to die. 
Okay. Mm. Well, you all know this. You've all heard this. I talk to people all the time that talk to me about it. So that's why I'm uh, bringing it to your attention. Quantum physicists are telling us now that living in a matrix is impossible. Now, of course, we I engage in this these kinds of discussions all the time with my clients, but it is a question that philosophers have been asking since the dawn of philosophy itself. What is real? And is the world as we perceive it really the world? And how can we know one way or the other? Well, the latest version of uh, version of this uh, seeking and searching and questioning um, was popularized in 1999 in the film The Matrix. And be- people are now beginning to explain their philosophy of life in terms of technology. And people are posing that perhaps reality is nothing more than a computer simulation. Well, <laughs> step up the physicists. Physicists are telling us that this is technically just a theoretical question. Really, not a fact. Not a fact, just a theoretical question. They say that no computer around today has the computing power to simulate the entire universe, not even close. Well, we already know that, right? So we should ask them, but could such a super, super, super computer even be possible? Might not we be lying in a gel-filled pod somewhere with circuits in our heads <laughs> while an ultra-powerful artificial intelligence feeds off the electrical pulses surging between the neurons of our brains? Answer that, doctors, will you? Well, according to Zohar Ringel and Dmitri Zvorkin from the University of Oxford and the Hebrew University in Israel, The plot of the matrix is not only implausible, it is actually impossible. What they did, they crunched the numbers and found that the computing power needed to simulate the universe all the way down to the quantum level would require a memory built from more atoms than there are in the universe itself. Well, that's good news if you're concerned about your life being a computer simulation. It means... (laughs) that there's simply no way for a computer algorithm to possibly make sense of the weirdness that happens on the quantum level. And I might add, that probably has to do with, um, you know, the uh, chaos effect, you know. So there's just some things that can't be accounted for. And I'm really finally glad that some physicists have stepped up to address those 100 million YouTubes that make claims to that fact. And so, there it is. And that's it for tonight's news. It's going to be a great show. So from my heart to yours, (laughs) each one of you, you two, Ariel, Lavendar, all of you, much love, and I hope you have a beautiful week. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks so much, Anastasia, for the Starseed News. Good job. So now um, we are going to switch over, and I am going to get the uh, mics open for our guest, Dr. Magda Havis and Lavendar. Okay, you are both set to go. Dr. Havis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me to participate. Uh, We're so happy to have you because it's such an important topic. So, Lavendar, go ahead and... uh, 
Lead it, lead it off. Well, Dr. Magma, I'm so thrilled to have you on, and it looks like you've really been engaged in this um, electro, electromagnetic pollution problem for some time. So just start by telling us how you got interested in it, and, and by all means, tell us the latest that you know about what's happening. Okay, well, <clears throat> I'm an environmental toxicologist, so I've been interested all of my, <clears throat> excuse me, my adult life um, in trying to protect planet Earth. Um, initially, I worked with chemical pollutants in the environment, and, and in about 1995, I converted my research to studying electromagnetic energy, um, low frequency, radio frequency, different frequencies that are generated by man-made um, devices. And at that time, um, this area was really very controversial. It, it still is, but there is less reason for it to be controversial now. So we knew much less back in 1995 than we know today. And um, at that time, I was just curious to find out if this radiation was causing any adverse health effects, um, and if it was, what needed to be done about it. So that's when my research in this area originated. Um, and I've been doing that since 1995. In about 2004, I learned that there were people who were electrically hypersensitive. These are people who react to the type of radiation I was studying um, much greater than the uh, average person in the population. And they had great difficulty, you know, they couldn't use a cell phone. Um, many of them couldn't go out shopping in a mall because other people used cell phones and there was wireless technology around. And so I, I wanted to find out why they were so sensitive and how we could diagnose them because um, electro-hypersensitivity back then wasn't a recognized illness. Um, it is now recognized in certain countries in the world. Um, and so I've been working with them ever since, trying to figure out how to help them and trying to educate the public and to educate medical doctors so that they can get better care. So tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've discovered about how this, the cell phones and the cell phone towers affect the human body. Do you have to be within a certain um, location, like if a, a cell phone tower is... Is a, is a mile from your house, is that far enough away, or do you need to get further away from the cell phone tower? No, that should be far enough for a cell phone tower. Um, generally, if you live within about um, 500 meters of a cell phone tower, um, there's evidence of some adverse health effects, uh, especially if you're electrically sensitive. So the closer you are to any device, whether it's a cell phone tower uh, a mobile phone or Wi-Fi or any other device that you might have that emits this radiation, the closer you are to it, the higher your exposure is going to be. And so the further away you are from even your cell phone, so if you hold your cell phone away from your head when you're talking and you know you use speaker uh, phone rather than putting it next to your, your ear, um, that actually reduces your exposure significantly. So distance is your friend when it comes to um, devices that emit this type of radiation. So what kind of laws have been enacted to protect us from this? Do you know of any that anybody that's gone to Congress or any place in other foreign countries that's making it a mandate to 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 take this as serious as it should be? 
Well, we do have guidelines. We have guidelines in the United States um, set by the Federal Communication Commission. We have guidelines in Canada. We have international guidelines, and most countries have their own guidelines for exposure. The problem with the guidelines in North America is that they were based on a heating effect. So when, when we first started using this technology, and I'm talking about radio frequencies now, um, the first use of it was with radio. Um, and so, you know, if you have a radio transmitter, <clears throat> it's going to send out these, these waves and your radio is going to pick them up. It's, it's, um, it's going to be tuned to the same station. It, it, the sound will be amplified and it will pick it up and you can hear it. You're not exposed to the radiation from your radio, um, but you are exposed if you're anywhere, you know, within about two kilometers of a radio transmitter um, for a radio station. The second use of it uh, was with radar, and that was developed during World War II. And that's just another form of radio frequency at a slightly higher frequency than radio stations, so it's called microwave radiation. And so people who um, you know, manned the radar stations who were on, on airplanes um, that were exposed to radar would then be exposed to the radiation. Military operations were a real concern, and people who lived very close to airports, for example, and obviously people who worked um, in the airport industry. Um, but, you know, that was about it. Um, and the, we started developing technology that began to use more and more of the frequencies in the electromagnetic spectrum, radio frequencies and microwave. And then we began to have devices like the, um, the walkie-talkie, um, the cordless phone that you use in your home, for example. Wi-Fi technology uses this. Some of the uh, wireless gaming stations, um, PlayStations that kids play with uh, use it. Home security systems, your smart meter in your home. They're making something called smart appliances that can communicate using radio frequency with your smart meter. So we've devised um, more and more um, technology that uses this radiation. So our levels of exposure to this radiation are now increasing quite dramatically. And scientists said, well, at some level, this must be harmful. And they came up with the assumption and that the primary effect is going to be a heating effect. And so all of the guidelines we have in North America are based on a heating effect. And indeed, some of the international guidelines and some of the guidelines in European countries are based on this heating effect. What we've learned is that there are adverse biological effects at levels that are one one-thousandth or one-ten-thousandth of the levels that cause heating. And we can't seem to get the governments to recognize this and to change their guidelines. Some of the key you know, biological effects that we get from radiofrequency radiation um, include cancer. We know that people who use a cell phone for prolonged periods of time for at least 10 years um, will develop, um, th there's a sort of increased risk of developing a brain tumor on the same side of the head that they use their cell phone. We know that women who keep cell phones in their bra and have kept it you know, in the same location for 10 years or more will develop tumors immediately underneath um, the cell phone. So we know that this technology um, has been associated with cancer. Uh, we know that it affects sperm. So men who keep their cell phones in their pocket um, have deformed sperm 
um, have sperm that um, dies very quickly um, and sperm that simply can't do the job. And so, you know, infertility is a real issue we're facing in our society, not only because of cell phones. There are other things that are contributing to that, but the cell phones are making a big difference with respect to sperm. There have been a number of studies showing that. And the third effect that they have, so there's cancer, reproductive problems, and the third effect is with electrical hypersensitivity. And these are people who um, develop headaches, have difficulty thinking clearly, um, they have short, poor short-term memory, they might have mood uh, disorders um, that it could include um, anxiety and or depression. Um, they have aches and pains in their body that move around and that aren't constant. Um, and many of these people, when they go to their medical doctors, um, you know, the blood tests don't show anything unusual. And so very often the doctor thinks that they're having a some sort of psychotic or psychological problem, and they recommend they see a psychiatrist when the problem really very much is physiological. Wow. That makes so much sense. I wanted to ask you what you think about how much metal that we carry in our body. Does the Wi-Fi have some kind of effect with metal in our body? Very I'm much so. About that. Yeah, very much so. Metal um, reflects um, radio frequency and microwave radiation. So if you happen to have metal implants in your body, for example, they tend to heat up when you're exposed to this radiation. Um, so if you have you know, some metal in your leg or knee or hip, um, kids who have metal braces um, have difficulty when they go to school with Wi-Fi because that Wi-Fi um, bounces off the metal and then bounces around their head. And I've heard of, of individual students who have actually fainted, passed out um, near you know, Wi-Fi routers in a school environment. So How about, you, have, you know, that we, we carry so much metal in our bodies normally, I mean, with, you know, copper and different things, and, and when we get overload with that, would that somehow affect us with Wi-Fi? According, yeah, according to Dr. Klinkhardt, who's a medical doctor in Washington State, um, he's really convinced that the more aluminum we have in our body, um, the the worse this is, and, you know, there's things like antiperspirants that contain aluminum, and, you know, we're ingesting metals through our food and our water supply. So the more metal you have, the more likely it's going to interact with the microwave radiation that you're exposed to. I have but a friend that has like, rods in her back, and pardon? she had to move to Mexico and, and, and move to a place that doesn't have Wi-Fi because That's of true. Yeah, I can, yeah. I, can, I can certainly believe that. But even metal that you wear in your clothing, underwire bras, for example, zippers, um, Glasses that have a metal frame; these will all affect you. And if you if you have a bedroom where you're sleeping on a mattress that has coils in it, those coils act like antennas. And so, if you're living near a cell phone antenna, or if you have um, radio frequency technology in your home, <clears throat> in the form of a cordless phone or, or Wi-Fi, and you have it on at night, those metal wires in your uh, spring mattress will actually irradiate your body. They will concentrate the radiation and irradiate your body. And many people are having really poor sleep and are absolutely exhausted during the day as a result. You know, I, I came across that myself. I didn't read it anywhere. I just woke up one day and I said, I know that these bed springs in this mattress are vibrating to Wi-Fi. I just knew it. So I'm so glad you said that. 
Well, we've actually measured it. So, um, so with your, you know, sensitivity and our meters, we're coming up with the same information. I'm ca- I'm getting a new mattress. <laughs> no doubt about it now. Okay, I've been playing with it for a while, but now that you've said it, okay, it's done. I wanted to ask you about this scary thing called 5G. I heard about it last July when they were starting to vote on whether they were going to bring it in or not. Would you explain to our audience what 5G is and how dangerous this is going to be? 5G stands for the fifth generation of uh, wireless technology. Uh, Currently we have 3G and and 4G available. Uh, Some places still have 2G. Um, And what 5G, how it differs from some of the other types of technology is it's going to use a much higher frequency. So when when we talk about the electromagnetic spectrum, this is um, different frequencies that the government uh, basically sells to the wireless providers. So, um, So they have an auction and you can buy a certain part of the spectrum, just like radio stations would buy. Um, you know, their channel, uh, they would pay for their channel in a certain location, and that's how they can operate. So they have to have a license that they can operate on that channel. And this prevents interference. Uh, So it's really a good idea to have, um, you know, some government uh, controlling that. When it comes to 5G, we're going to be talking about frequencies that are greater than 10 billion cycles per second. And the military uses some of these. They use it for crowd control. This um, higher frequency, the good part of of it is that it doesn't penetrate deeply into the body. Um, But if it's the way the military uses it for crowd control is that um, they have trucks that have antennas on them that will put out a, a blast of this radiation. And the people who are within the blast uh, area will feel intense and very uncomfortable heat. Um, so their sweat glands will heat up almost to boiling point, and um, they'll feel intense pain. And clothing doesn't seem to shield it at all. So you can have, you know, you could have any kind of clothing on you, and it's not going to affect it at all. And unfortunately. Um, you know, this is one of the, the weaponized technologies of, micro, of, of um, microwave radiation. Um, so it's going to be uh, rolled out. It's already being tested in a few places around the world. It's going to be rolled out uh, within the next few years. And they're going to put antennas on um, street, on electrical poles or um, street lamp poles. Um, and they're going to have a lot of them because these... Um, antennas can only talk to one another when they're in line of sight. So if you have a tree between them, it won't work. Um, You know, it'll interfere with the communication. So it's going to cost a heck of a lot of money to place these antennas everywhere. And the level of our exposure to this radiation is simply going to go up exponentially um, because this is a new form of radiation that so far our exposure has been really, really limited. And no one's done testing on what the long-term consequences are of low levels of this radiation. Now, the military will tell you there's no long-term effects if you, you you know, expose people and you're doing crowd control, but our eyes are extremely sensitive, and we know that microwaves cause cataracts. So one of, you know, my concerns is that there'll be an increase in cataracts and uh, impaired vision for a lot of people. 
And our skin is a huge organ of um, detoxification. And anything that we do to affect the skin, I think, can have really you know, negative consequences on the rest of the human body. So this is something that shouldn't be rolled out until it's been tested appropriately. But because the telecom industry and, and the federal government um, is going to make you know, a lot of money on this, um, they're simply foregoing that initial testing of it. Well, isn't Europe, uh, aren't they going to test it for a couple of years before they roll it out? Didn't I hear something about Europe being ahead of the curve on this? Well, Europe is ahead of the curve in terms of the research that they've done uh, and some of the statements that they make about how dangerous this is. Um, the telecom industry, for some reason, isn't nearly as powerful in Europe as it is in, in the United States, for example. Um, but it's being rolled out um, without a, a lot of concern right now. And the reason I think there's little concern is because it's not supposed to penetrate deeply into your body. So the thinking is it probably won't have any effect. Um, but that's what they thought about um, lower frequencies of microwaves. It probably doesn't have any effect, and yet it's causing cancer and, and um, you know, reproductive impairment, and it's making people sick with electrical hypersensitivity. So they were wrong on that one. And my guess is they're going to be wrong on the 5G as well. Uh, my understanding is that when 5G is rolled out, that they're going to put a lot of things upstairs in the cloud. Is that? Can you give us more insight of how that works with our our governments and our our water and electric and and letting everything be controlled from upstairs? Doesn't it sound like a a scene out of Atlantis? <laughs> Well, they call it the cloud, but it's very much on Earth. <laughs> it's not up in the cloud, really. Um, <clears throat> this is simply, you know, storing information. And it's something that um, is a real concern because of privacy issues and, and control of people's lives if you have information about them that should be maintained as private and confidential. Um, it's not the area that I do research in. I really look at the health effects, but this is uh, one of the key concerns that um, a lot of the population have is that um, they simply, you know, who's, who's looking at the cloud? Who has access to the cloud? How much information is available and um, how can it affect them if, if that information got out? You know, we don't want our medical records to be, you know, public knowledge. We don't want... Um, you know, how we behave at home to be public knowledge, and we certainly don't want our private documents and private information to be public knowledge. And right now we don't know who has access to them and who has control over that. Do you know of a, an island or a country or a place that doesn't have Wi-Fi? <laughs> Is there such a place? <laughs> Actually, in Green Bank, West Virginia. Um, Let me write that there's down. A... Green Bank, West Virginia, all right. Yep. They have a community there um, that is near a radio telescope. So they have these huge radio telescopes that are listening to um, radio frequencies from outer space. They're really massive antennas, you know, these parabolic antennas that look like huge dishes. Um, they're hundreds of, of feet across in, in uh, diameter. And they're listening to whispers from outer space, basically, whispers within the microwave uh, frequency band. And so if someone in that community uses a cell phone, it interferes with their communication. To them, it's, 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 a, it's a loud shout. And so in that community, they don't have radio stations or TV stations. Um, they don't have cell phone antennas. Uh, people can't use cell phones. Um, they don't have smart meters on their homes because all of this interferes. They were even removing um, 
fluorescent light bulbs because fluorescent light bulbs give off um, a radio frequency. They sort of hum in the radio frequency range, and they were interfering with the uh, uh, telescopes there, the radio telescopes. So this is one area that people who have become electrically hypersensitive, um, this is a place they go to to um, either recover for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, or they go there to live, um, you know, if they can afford it. Um, so um, that's one place. But there are other places spotted around the United States. Um, there's a place in Arizona, and I can't, I can't remember the, the name of it. It's got something to do with snow or something. Anyway, there's a place in Arizona that's also very remote where electromagnetic, they call themselves refugees, have gone to. Um, and anyone who goes there, you know, doesn't have the um, normal, you know, wireless technology that we would have in large urban centers. Is that Snowflake, Arizona? That's right, Snowflake, Arizona. Thank you. I love that place. I didn't know that they had made that. Oh, wow. I'm There's a really community near Snowflake. I really am seriously looking at places on the planet that does not have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, there is a community that lives there already, and uh, you can learn a lot from the people there because they've, you know, they protect their homes, they shield their homes so that anyone, you know, driving by and you know, trucks or whatever, um, any kind of radiation coming from those vehicles won't penetrate their home environments. You know, there was a guy that was abducted at Snowflake, Arizona. Walden, I believe, was his Walton was his name, and they hmm. made a movie about him. That's interesting, Snowflake. Hmm. How about islands? Have you heard of any islands that 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 may not have Wi-Fi? No. As a matter of fact, um, you know, with this interesting information about Cuba, about the you know the uh, sonic attack and things of that nature. Um, a little while ago, we went to vacation in Cuba thinking, um, when I last went there, which was quite a few years ago, they had very little wireless technology, like your cell phone wouldn't work and the hotels didn't have Wi-Fi. So it was a, a, a fairly good place to go. But that's all changed within the last couple of years. Um, Wi-Fi is coming in. Um, you know, So basically, you can't go there anymore either for a vacation. And I know there's um, an issue between you know the United States and Cuba that I was hoping would would ultimately be resolved, but um, right now even Cuba isn't a safe place to go when it comes to this kind of radiation. So you call this electrosmog, right? That's a term that I haven't heard before, <laughs> electrosmog. Right. Well, the normal term for it is electromagnetic pollution, um, but it's a form of air pollution, um, so it's a, you know, electrosmog I think is a, a pretty good short form for what we're experiencing. So tell us about some of the case studies that maybe you you could share with us that's that's happened with people that would uh, give us some insight to how it affects the health. Okay. Well, I've worked with um, um, diabetics. Um, I mentioned I met a, a person. His name's Dave Stetzer, and um, he designed some technology that um, cleans up the electricity in your home. It, it's a little filter that you put into an electrical power supply, and it kills up, cleans up the electricity. And I was told that people who are electrically sensitive were benefiting from it, and I was really quite skeptical about this. <clears throat> and someone asked me if I would do a, a study at a school environment in um, Minnesota, and so I went down and, and we did a, sorry, the first study was done in Toronto. And um, <clears throat> I went down and, and did a study where we 
put in these filters and um one of the children who was going to that school was electrically hypersensitive and her mother said that she knew that these filters would help her daughter <clears throat> and she was interested to find out whether it would help anyone else in the school environment <clears throat> excuse me and i was really very skeptical about these filters doing anything positive um, but I agreed to do the study because, you know, I really respect mothers who really care about their children and bend over backwards trying to help them, you know, su- be successful in life. And so I thought, well, even if we find out that these filters don't have um, an effect, uh, it's that's from a scientific perspective, that's still useful information. We did the study and we found that during, um, when we had these filters in the school and we were looking at the, the health of the teachers and their energy level and their mood, and uh, when we did the study, we found that about 30, no, was it 55% of the teachers improved uh, while we had the filters in the school environment. And they knew nothing about this, so it was a blind study. And that really amazed me. And I kept thinking, you know, we must have made a mistake somehow. But we've now repeated it at three other schools in Minnesota and found that um, probably about 35% of the teachers <clears throat> can benefit if um, they clean up the dirty power in on electrical wires in an environment. I then started <clears throat> working. Um, I found out that there was a woman in Wisconsin who was a teacher at a school that had, um, uh, it was the, the school was actually a school with sick building syndrome. And they thought initially that the problem was with chemicals in the environment or mold, which is, you know, the two common things that we look for. And the kids were, you know, having headaches and migraines and teachers were, you know, on sick leave a lot. And the teachers' union there um, kept asking the school to clean up and, and they refused. And finally, you know, they were willing to take action, union action, and so the school cleaned up the, you know, disinfected the school and during the summer and got rid of carpets and used cleaners that were, you know, chemically uh, more natural. And the teachers and students came back and they were sick again. So that didn't seem to make a difference. And then they uh, called in this guy, Dave Stetzer, and um, he put in these filters, um, thought it could be uh, dirty power because he, he measured it with his uh, scope. And after they did that... Um, it was absolutely remarkable. People's sense of smell came back. Um, their health improved. Their energy levels improved. And in the school, I think there were something like 39 students with um, who had asthma who, re- who required inhalers on a regular basis. And they stopped using them at school. They were still using them at home. But in the school environment, um, the dirty power wasn't affecting their asthma. It wasn't causing asthma attacks at all. And I think only three required them for exercise-induced asthma. So when they exercised, that's when they needed their inhalers. One of the principals at the school had multiple sclerosis, and her symptoms were getting really, really bad. Um, So she, but after the filters went in, her symptoms improved, and her memory came back, her ability to walk, um, you know, with coordinated motion came back. And I thought that... um, with MS, some of the symptoms are very physical, where people, you know, they slur or um, they can't walk, they, you know, they, they lose their balance, they have very poor coordination. And so I started to work with people who had multiple sclerosis. And of the ones I worked with, uh, quite a few of them improved when we put filters in their home. 
Um, and this surprised me as well because their their rate of improvement was so much more dramatic than anything I would have anticipated. So we published papers um, on how um, having you know good power quality in your home, not being exposed to a, this form of electrosmog, may actually help people who have neurological disorders like multiple sclerosis. Um, so you know this is one area of research that we've done. Another area of research was working with diabetics. Um, we found that um, when a diabetic is stressed, uh, whether it's physical stress or emotional stress, their body reacts by increasing um, the sugar in their blood. So their blood glucose levels go up. And when we test diabetics who are also electrically hypersensitive, so they have to have both diabetes, either type 1 or type 2 diabetes, and electrical hypersensitivity, their blood sugar will increase if we expose them to electrosmog within 20 minutes. Um, and it will decrease if we remove the electrosmog from their environment within about 20 minutes, which is a very rapid response rate. <clears throat> And there's some group of diabetics that are called brittle diabetics. These are people who have great difficulty controlling their blood sugar. And the reason for that is um, unknown. They, you know, they eat right. They you know, do everything that they're supposed to. But for some reason, suddenly their blood sugar will spike or their blood sugar will fall. And you know, they haven't done anything that they're, they're aware of. And I have a feeling that those brittle diabetics might be the ones that we're studying, these are the ones where something in the environment is actually creating physiological stress in their body. And when they go into one of these polluted environments, their blood sugar will spike. When they leave that polluted environment, their blood sugar will fall. So, you know, if you're a diabetic and <clears throat> when you go camping, um, you know, your blood sugar stabilizes, or if you're out on a boat fishing, and you have normal blood sugar no matter what you eat, then chances are um, you're probably electrically hypersensitive as well. And controlling, you know, cleaning up your electromagnetic environment may do a great deal in helping you control your blood sugar at the same time. Tell me more about these gadgets that you, that you did you call them filters? What did you call them that you put in um, the walls? You put yeah, they're the called, how, how they're do you actually, put these filters in? They're, we call them filters, but they're capacitors. They're called GS um, capacitors, and um, they simply clean up the electricity that's going through your house. So electricity that, that goes through your home should be 60 cycles, and it should be a very smooth wave. It's called a sine wave. And when we have electronic devices in our home, like computers and you know other types of like fluorescent light bulbs, um, all of these will corrupt the electricity. And the electricity actually coming into your home is already corrupted because of, of this technology being so commonly used. Um, the utility has ways of filtering it on their power lines, um, but they seldom clean it up to the degree that it, that it should be cleaned up. And many factories recognize that these this dirty power that comes into their plants can interfere with their sensitive electronic equipment and with their operations. So very often if you have a, a paper mill, for example, you will purify the electricity coming into your plant to protect the equipment in there, not to protect health, although it does that at the same time, uh, but they do it to protect equipment. And that's why we have surge suppressors that we plug our computers into. These surges that come through every once in a while will damage sensitive electronic equipment. It turns out they're harmful for human health as well. 
And so basically these um, GS filters are surge suppressors. Um, and, you know, I, I, if it hadn't been research that we'd done and that we'd, we'd repeat it to make sure we haven't made any mistakes, um, you know, I would have great difficulty believing what I'm actually telling you right now. But the results from some people have been so miraculous that we started videotaping people with MS, and we, we actually have a YouTube video that shows before and after. And the before and after is absolutely miraculous. And, and you talk to these people, and, and they can't believe that they've got their life back because their symptoms have been reduced. So, so Are they, they really very expensive, work. these filters to buy? I think they're about $40, um, and you need more than one. So you need, depending on how much, how many uh, things in your home generate the dirty power, um, you might need eight or ten or, you know, depending on the size of your home as well, you might need more than that. Um, so it would cost a few hundred dollars to clean up your entire home. Um, but, boy, it certainly worth it, worth yeah. it from a health perspective. It's worth it, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. So do you plug them into the to the outlet? H- how do you hook them up? Yeah, you just plug them into an electrical outlet. Um, oh, simple. And that's it. Like there's, you don't need an electrician or anything like that. Um, and the places where they sell them, they give you information on what you need to do uh, as well. I just want to make sure I don't get any profit from this company at all. <laughs> You know, when I test technology, whether it's a meter or whether it's filtering technology or screening technology, I don't get a kickback. Um, I simply share the information I found so that people can make wise decisions about whether or not they want to buy something. So um, just want to make that crystal clear. Well, we had we had a meal uh, on last last week, and, and his company, I hope, probably carries this, doesn't he? They do, that's right. Less EMF does carry this product. They actually have phenomenal products um, on their website for shielding and, and filtering. I was so impressed with his catalog. I just sat with that catalog, and I kept going, ooh, ah, oh, mm, got to have one of these. <laughs> it was like I, I've, I've really been impressed by that catalog. It's, so I will definitely start uh, gathering up monies to, to buy these filters, absolutely. Right. What I recommend, though, if, you, if you're going to buy filters, that you also buy a meter that goes with them. It's called a microsurge meter that's available at meals, you know, lessemf.com. And that's about $150, I think. Um, and it tells you how much dirty power you have. And, and, we know, and all you do is plug it in and it gives you a number. So you plug it into an electric outlet and it gives you a number. That number uh, should be less than 50. And if it isn't, it means you've got a power problem in your home, a dirty power problem in your home. As soon as you plug the filter in, that number will change. So you can tell, you can actually monitor it. So it's not something that's woo-woo in any way. You can actually measure it. And these are all, you know, um, um, technology that engineers could use as well. So um, it's something that you can measure while you're doing it to make sure that the levels come down to ideally less than 50 if, if you can. Does this take care of the way they're putting in these smart meters? Will this take care of the smart meter problem? I don't have smart meters here in our town, but I know they're coming. Right. With the smart meter, there's two types of of radiation that they generate. One is radio frequency radiation through the air, Um, and that's what everyone's focused on. However, they also produce dirty electricity. And so this will take care of the dirty electricity aspect of the smart meter. 
and both are important. So you have to shield against the RF as well as the dirty power. So if you have these filters in your home, it will reduce one of the two um, issues we have with smart meters. The other day I was uh, looking at a commercial on television, and they were advertising this gadget that you plug in to your the wall, and you mm-hmm. can have Wi-Fi all over your house. Oh. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, okay, they're, well, they're wanting it more than, right. than less. People are That's wanting right. more Wi-Fi in their home. Well, interesting, uh, there's a, a gadget you can pu- plug into your wall, and it will put the wireless technology onto the wire. And then you plug your computer into that, and so you can get rid of Wi-Fi, but you can use it anywhere in your house that you can plug into an electrical supply, including your backyard. Wow. So that type of technology I do recommend for people, um, but you've got to turn the Wi-Fi off, uh, obviously. And so you you buy two of these little boxes. Um, one you plug into your uh, Wi-Fi router and turn the you know the, the the router the Wi-Fi aspect of it off. The other you plug into an electrical outlet um, and you plug your computer into it, and you've now using the wires in your home to uh, carry that information. So you've gotten rid of the wireless technology, basically your wireless exposure. It's a much safer way of using um, uh, a- having access to internet. Wow. And I so think Emil both of them has, are about, I think both of these. them are about $40. I'm not certain if Emil I think I'm not certain if Emil has those, but if he doesn't he really should. So tell me the name of it again. Um gosh, I I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um a power power line adapter. Power line adapter, okay. And that's for um converting Wi-Fi onto electrical wires. Well, I'm looking at the time, and, and I would like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, at this time. And I so appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, your information with us. And would you be willing to come back at a later time and, and give us an update on what's happening, especially with 5G? Sure, I'd love to. Okay. So are you there, okay. Arielle? I sure am. Okay, back to you. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, well, um I know that you are short on time this evening, so um, we just want to thank you so much for sharing your information and for your dedication to a very important issue. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's more important than a lot of things that people are focused on, um, and this helping people to um, get over the complacency about wireless. Um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing in this, in this area. Thank you. I do have a bit more time if you'd like. I know I said something like 8 o'clock, but um, I can spend another half an hour, 20 minutes if you like. Or Well, um, okay. I wasn't going to open up the switchboard for questions, but if we have any callers that have a, a question, would you be able to help be them happy out? happy to. Sure. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> if you are already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1 so that we know you have a question and want to come on the air and talk to Dr. Magda. And if you are listening on the computer, then you'll have to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, while we are waiting for that that process to happen... um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the effects of all of this kind of electro smog being more dangerous Shit. for children. Definitely. Um, children are very, very sensitive to this radiation. As, as a matter of fact, um, one of the early studies that was done back in 1979 actually found that children who lived near power lines had an increased risk of developing uh, leukemia. And that was really what started the research in North America um, on on sort of the, the um, non-occupational population. So we know that the levels that affect children are probably uh, one-third the levels that affect um, adults, and that's why the guidelines are so critical that we have guidelines that protect the most sensitive in our communities. Uh, I know it just when I when I see what's happening in schools with you know all the laptops and and it's all wireless and the whole school is wireless. I'm just so glad that that you and your colleagues are. Um, coming up with some, you know, hard evidence uh, because, like you said, most people just think it's like, oh, you know, I don't feel anything. It's not hurting me. <laughs> you know? Right. And that just, you can't, you know, it's like, like uh, you know, certain poisonous gases. You just, they're odorless and you never know that you're, that you're being, uh, um, you know, under attack by these things until it's too late. That's right. Unfortunately, we're not having very much success in preventing Wi-Fi from going into schools. Um, Most, um, you know, boards of education are simply unaware of the health effects of this because I I know they care about children and if they knew how dangerous it was. um, I work with a number of teachers who have developed electrical sensitivity and they're having a great deal of problem. And so you can imagine how bad it might be for the kids. Um, they can't think clearly in a Wi-Fi-enabled classroom. Um, they end up at the end of the day feeling exhausted with headaches and body aches and pain. So, um, you know, there are more and more kids going home and telling their parents they're having headaches. Um, there were several um, television documentaries that were done by various news stations here in, in Canada uh, showing that they had the kids had heart palpitations um, and, you know, we're really, really concerned because some of our research has actually shown that these heart palpitations can come on instantaneously, and it's almost like they're having a heart attack. So their heart just starts pounding really, really quickly. And um, so, you know, this is something that I think the school boards need to take more seriously, and I wish more um, parents could get involved somehow and um, get rid of the Wi-Fi in the classroom and just go to wired technology that's much um, safer and much more secure as well from a privacy perspective. Yeah, and then, you know, when you consider on on top of that, you know, the um the, the schools are just really not a very healthy environment with with uh, you know, soda machines and you know, candy machines and things like that and it just it's it's really scary, especially I'm thinking, you know, kids who drink soda out of an aluminum can. So right away the aluminum is leaching out of the can into their body, and then the Wi-Fi hits it. It's like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I mean, the children, they're the hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And, and all that like, sugar I, as well. Yeah, the sugar and, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I don't have any figures, but it seems that, you know, diabetes is is an epidemic. 
and and it's it's because of our food supply and the people that they don't realize that there's just sugar in everything because it helps mm-hmm. sales, you know. That's right. Gosh. No. Um, and is there, aren't there countries in 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 Europe that are much more like you know um, you can't use your cell phone in a public building? Uh, there are individual uh, places around the world that includes North America. So we do have schools, um, for example, uh, usually private schools where there's a lot more autonomy, um, where parents have you know gotten involved and and you know they've said you know could you please get rid of the Wi-Fi, and some of the principals have actually done that. Um, And um, I don't know about buildings, uh, but certainly certain schools have gone that particular route. In uh, parts of Europe and France, uh, for example, they're replacing Wi-Fi with uh, fiber optics, which is a much faster system. It's, It's probably the best system we have available right now. And they're actually doing some research looking at something called LIFI, so it's L-I-F-I. And instead of using microwave radiation, they're using light to carry the information. Um, and I don't know, once again, you know what the biological effects of that are likely to be, but they couldn't possibly be worse than with microwaves. So, um, so right. So there are technologies out there that are being um, developed that are much better than Wi-Fi, and uh, but for some reason we can't seem to get um, the Wi-Fi obsessed people, you know, looking at something different. Well, yeah, well it <clears throat> comes with the, the the complacency and the um, um, deliberate negligence on the on the part of the wireless um, industry. You know, um, funding tests, and then when they don't come up with the results that they wanted, they just bury them. Um, it, that's that's just rampant. I mean, it's like hundreds of billions of dollars a year. So it's going to take the people. It it's going to take people. You know, that just say we're not buying that. And as soon as mm-hmm. there's no profit, it'll go away. Yeah. So yeah, people have got to wake up about this. It just it drives me crazy, you know. When I, I mean, you go to the airport, and I'm sure I mean you travel a lot, and you look around, and everybody is looking at their phone, and they're walking in the walls practically, and it's just I mean it's just everywhere, and That's I was like, right. man, you can't. I mean it's it's permeating. I mean at least, um, I mean they were quick enough to get rid of of smoking in public buildings, but uh, I mean at well, least that's someone a long smoking time too, yeah. But but they did it, you know. Yeah. So um, and and truly, I mean, at least as someone smoking, you can walk away and go someplace where the air isn't isn't affected. But with Wi-Fi, you can't get away from it. There's no place that's to hide, right. you know, yeah, unless you go to true. Snowflake, Arizona, or Green Bank, West Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it just it's a situation, which is why we're we're focusing on this. Um, on our radio show because it is an issue that people are asleep about and they need to wake up. Oh, I agree. So, I'm, I'm really pleased that you're doing a show on this. Yeah. Well, we had we had Emil on um, last week, and we're gonna we're gonna do another one in this series, and um, and then little by little, hopefully, you know, people will share the information with their friends, and you know, can start. It can start at a grassroots level, but it, it still comes down to the people. Okay. You know, people keep buying it; they're going to keep selling it. 
mm-hmm. then they're going to keep upgrading it so that what you whatever you bought is now obsolete, and now you have to get the new one. And it's, exactly. it's just it, it's insanity. Well, it's I think insanity. a lot of people are now addicted to their cell phones, like they can't leave home without it. Um, Dr. Oz had a show on today, um, and he was asking uh, his audience how many people actually, you know, take their cell phones into the bathroom, and I think about 69% said they did. Um, and so they, you know, so he was concerned about germs on a cell phone, which was much higher than it was on people who don't take their cell phones to the bathroom. But it's gotten to the point where, you know, we we simply, you know, we're addicted to it, and we we can't uh, live without it. Yeah, I, I heard someone make a comment that um, my whole life is in my phone. Yeah, and it's like that's just got so many layers of of scary <laughs> that. Oh my gosh, and that's just I mean everybody. They I mean especially the young kids. You know, I I mean I've got I've got teenage niece and nephew and and their whole lives rotate around the phone. That's right. And, With social you know, media and all the, you know, connections yeah, that they have. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's it's very scary. It is so, it's come um, on rather quickly too. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, as the, you know, I mean, the price came down because yep. I mean, it used to used to be much more expensive, and then the, the price keeps coming down, so now you can have phones for your whole family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm glad that, um, you know, that Emil has such a great catalog and things that people can, can use that have been verified because there's so much stuff out there that that's, it's like you have to believe in it. For it to work, there's no hard science that says this is the test, this is the meter, this is the result before and after, you know. Right. And it, really, there's there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, have something that you're supposed to stick on your phone and it's supposed to cure everything. It's like I don't think so. I want I want to see the research behind this. Well, um, the government should be funding some of that research, I think. So. Um, well, absolutely. Really but, but I mean, the government is kind of in bed with the wireless industry. They're Correct. very powerful. You know, they're very powerful. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Emil said last week that in 1996, um, the wireless lobbyists got this law on the books that you cannot, if, if, a, cell, if a cell phone tower is planned in your community and you don't, and you want to oppose it, that it says on the books that your reason cannot be for health. That's you right. Can say that, you can say that it's not pretty or it obscures your view, but it, mm-hmm. it, they wrote it into law that you cannot object because of health reasons. So Isn't they knew amazing? back then. Oh, they yeah. knew back then mm-hmm. that, it was, that, it, that there were health problems and risks. Yep. So, you know, they got on the stick there <laughs> and got the law passed, and it's still sitting there. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, somebody said they wanted to put a cell phone tower across my house. Um, I can't say I won't, you know, I can't oppose it because it's unhealthy, That's only because right. it's not pretty. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's perverse. <laughs> you know? And you know what they do when it comes to the aesthetics? Um, they actually make the tower look like a tree, like a palm tree or, or a evergreen or whatever. So they actually try to make it look as though it's a tree, although you can tell it isn't. Oh, gosh. Yeah, well, um, 
<laughs> you can still you can still put pretty clothes on poison and it's still poison. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um I it doesn't look like we're going to have any callers this evening, which is usually an indication that you covered your material really well. Nobody has well, any thank questions. You. Yes. So um we will um be looking forward to having you visit with us again. Um you know, when you have some new information that you want to get out there. We've got a, a very large audience, and they understand, and they can help, you know, kind of spread the word. So well, I we'll really appreciate you spreading the world. Yeah, the world uh, word, because yes. Um, yes. we need to know about it. Oh, absolutely. This is such an important topic, and um, especially when it comes to the, the children of our yes. listeners. Um, and that, like I said, they're the hope of the future. And if you, you know, if you won't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. Um, Actually, regarding that, like, could I just make one point that we haven't talked about, and that is baby monitors. Baby monitors that we have in North America emit radio frequency microwaves all the time. They're absolutely horrid, horrid devices. In Europe, they have baby monitors that are voice-activated, so when the baby cries, the monitor comes on, alerts the parent, um, and then it goes off again. And um, so the level of exposure for baby monitors here, like for an infant who would be you know, in a crib, is astronomically higher than it is in Europe because of the type of technology. And if you try to order some of the European technology, it's, it's made by the same companies, you know, Philips and various companies, um, you can't buy it here. It's illegal to sell it to Canada and United States. Um, and so the only way that you can get it is if you actually travel to Germany, for example, buy one and bring it here. Um, but they won't ship here. They, apparently it's it's not legal technology to be used here in North America. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's just, kind of just making my stomach turn. Um, oh, it's mind-blowing, yes. Yep. Oh. So get rid of the baby monitors and, um, you know, put the baby in your bedroom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things, you know, you can do is if you, you know, I, I do understand how parents want to know if their baby cries in the middle of the night. I, you know, I totally understand the value of that. Um, if you are going to put a baby monitor in your infant's bedroom, make sure it's far enough away from the crib. It's not next to it. Um, they They pick up sound quite easily anyway. And one of the things Emil has on his website is material. It's called Swish Shield, um, and it has uh, metal fiber in it. And basically, if you drape the crib um, with this Swish Shield, it's a it's a, it's got holes in it so that you know the infant can breathe and, and everything else. And you can even see through it, so you can see the infant. But that would be one way of shielding the crib from the microwave radiation. Of course, everyone else in the house is, is exposed, but at least the infant wouldn't be. So so that's uh, something to consider. Or, you know, go to Europe and, and purchase one of those baby monitors and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> and make sure your infant isn't exposed. Gosh. Well, that's that's something that needs to change. I mean, so, I mean, microphones are voice activated. There's lots of things that are voice activated. Um so that just sounds like it sounds like some insidious plot to me to well, it uh, sounds to rob insane. the children. It, yeah, exactly. Like, why would the government forbid a technology that is voice activated? 
that uses less electricity and and emits less radiation. It just it just does not make any sense whatsoever. Gosh, and um, what about I mean cordless phones? I read that that they put out more radiation than a cell phone. They do. Um, actually, if you have a cordless phone in your home, chances are that's going to be the largest source of your exposure, even if you have cell towers nearby um, because of your, your proximity to them and because they're on all the time. Once again, in Europe, um, they have phones where when you pick them up and use them, that's when they're radiating, but as long as the um, you know the handle is in the cradle, it's not going to irradiate. So that's completely different than the phones we have here as well. Um, so there's so much that, you know, Europe is, is well ahead of us. Um, their government seems to take much better care of its population than is happening here in North America. The other thing they're coming up with is lights that you can turn on and off with your cell phone. And these lights also constantly emit microwave radiation. I went to a, a lighting conference, and they were, you know, so proud that they were coming out with these lights, and, and I, I just couldn't believe it. And I told the manufacturers, I said, my God, you're going to make your, you know, your clients, uh, people who buy your products sick. Um, and they, they had no concept of this at all. Um, but they think it's very sexy, you know, um, technology, and so they want to make it available. And it's absolutely ludicrous from a health perspective. Yeah, you know, having all this, all the you know apps and things that you can do with your smartphone. I mean, I saw a commercial where a guy's in the store and couldn't remember if they needed eggs, so he, his his refrigerator was hooked up, and on his cell phone he could look inside of his refrigerator from the grocery store to see if he needed you know eggs or milk or something like that. And right. and I just kind of I went over the top, over the edge with that, but it is the illusion of power. That's People right. think, oh, I can find that out right now. I can do this. I can measure this. I can do mm-hmm. all these little things that the, that the smartphones will do. And, and even computers and, and everything, it's just an illusion of power just because it you've is. got the technology to go do stuff. That, that's not real power. Mm-hmm. You know, your power is in your choices, <laughs> not right. in your phones. <laughs> There's two other technologies that your listeners might be interested in. Um, in China, they're doing research on diapers. And they're making diapers that have little chips in them, and when the diaper gets wet, it connects with your cell phone and lets you know you have to change Junior's diapers. So basically, it's irradiating the entire infant, but mostly their genitalia, which is crazy, especially for female girls. Um, So that's one technology that's being currently worked on. There's another technology, and that is um, they're putting temperature sensors into soothers, so, you know, you have an infant, you want to measure their temperature, you put their soother in their mouth, except this soother has a radio transmitter, and it will tell your cell phone what the infant's temperature is. So you can leave the soother in during the night and monitor their, your child's temperature by having microwave radiation penetrate from inside their mouth through their skull to your cell phone. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's almost like... like uh some kind of a Frankenstein movie. <laughs> it does. It sounds absolutely um, irresponsible and incredible. So yes. this is well, what we're, need to... we're up against. Well, people wake up, <laughs> wake up. You know, this yeah. is this is you know, this is what happened in Atlantis, where technology yeah. was just racing ahead, unbound um, by by wisdom. 
mm-hmm. and and you know and they lost the whole civilization so we're kind of sitting in that same position now so hope that um we can learn from learn from them and not make those same mistakes i agree gosh well is there anything else that you wanted to um impart to our audience before we wrap it up <laughs> No, I think that's probably good enough for the time being. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it has just been a pleasure having you on the show. Your information is so well presented, well researched, and and this is what we need people to hear. You know, it, it, um, because you're an authority on this, so we need more people like you in the world. And we'll look forward to having you come back. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for being here with us. So on behalf of everyone here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. And until then, make sure you be grateful every day of your life. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.